okay. This is for you. It's all for you. All for you. I mean, it's a good video. Why? Why not replay it? Hold on. Let me turn on the music. Uh, I'm I'm having a real one right now. Uh, it's been a long it's been a long week, folks. It's only the first Monday in March. There we go. Yes. So this is this is called. Uh, I don't know what. Uh, yes, it's the first Monday of March. It's the first Monday of the rest of our lives. Uh, it is basically coming up on one full fucking year of COVID. It's been a minute. Uh, yeah, so, hey, y'all. Uh, welcome to the Knock uh, LA weekly podcast. This is our, our Knock weekly activism wrap-up. Uh, today, we're going to be talking uh, with Aaron Wistie from Knock. Uh, say, how many times can I say Knock in the first minute and a half of this recording uh we're gonna be talking about an article that she just wrote uh, about echo park lake that's incredibly important and that's going to be a great conversation coming up for you um we're also going to be talking a little bit about what's going on with coronavirus but we're going to mainly be spending some time hitting on this uh whole recall gascon and uh movement i guess is the best term for it and all that bullshit. So, uh, without further ado, uh, how's everything going for you, Squirrel? That's going all right. Oh, there we go. That's that's a little bit better. Music a little bit loud. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Terry, there how we about go. You? Now I can now I can hear myself. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm doing well. I was um, God. There's so much stuff that keeps happening and it doesn't it doesn't stop happening i got fully vaccinated on friday so congratulations uh, that's good yeah so uh second shot definitely kicked it packs a bit of a kick like i get a lot of vaccines as a diabetic like if there's a vaccine for something they want me to have it um and this one really like kind of kicked my butt for most of saturday but uh, i got over it pretty well feeling much better no superpowers unfortunately but um Still double masking, still social distancing, so please keep doing all of that stuff, even though numbers are getting better and it looks like there might be a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but the one thing I did want to talk about before I, I kick it over to the rest of y'all is there is a special election tomorrow uh, in California Senate District 30, which is a large, uh, ungainly district that takes up just a, a lot of space. I'm actually, you know what, I should have done this earlier, Chris. No, never mind. Screw it. I'm not pulling um, but up right it, now. <laughs> no, it works. No, uh, but if you're in California Senate District 30, which is like most of Mid-City, some of the West Side, Koreatown, Hollywood, it's a huge freaking district. Uh, get out there tomorrow or drop your ballot off and vote for Daniel Wayne Lee. He's the most progressive candidate in the race. He is currently the vice mayor of Culver City. He's done a lot of good work on policing, on services for the unhoused out there, on rent control, like he helped bring rent control to Culver City and then successfully defended it in the last election. He's running uh, primarily against Sidney Kamlinger Dove, who is the uh, current uh, occupant of uh, Assembly District 54, which also includes a lot of those same areas. They're racing to uh, replace Holly Mitchell. Oh, there we go. There's the district. Good job, Chris. Thank you. Um, and then, uh, and and like Sidney Kamlinger Dove is not. She's not the worst person in Sacramento. I don't want to paint her with that brush. But, like, she's taken a lot of developer money. She's taken a lot of money from, like, Big Pharma and, like, other industry groups. And she's, like, kind of more centrist than she is progressive. Um, it's going to be interesting because Sydney Campbell Dub got the endorsement of people like Patrice Cullors and Karen Bass and a lot of, like, really strong um, political actors out on the west side throughout L.A., Ground Game L.A., Sunrise Movement L.A., DSA Los Angeles. We've all endorsed Daniel Wayne Lee. So we'll have to see how it goes because it's a special election. 
there's a chance that Sydney Kamlinger Dove could close it out in the first round. But if she doesn't get 50% top two runoff, Daniel Wayne Lee hopefully will get another chance to take her down the next time. But make sure you get out there and vote. It is the only thing on the ballot. So it's going to be kind of hard to to not like see that one if you show up. Voting centers are open, <laughs> and you can get those mail-in ballots in. Um, I'm a little bit loopy. It's been a long weekend. Anyways, Terry, how are you doing, sir? Uh I was better about uh, half an hour ago before a student emailed to let me know that she's got COVID symptoms. Uh, so I feel pretty awesome about that. Uh, other than that, uh, things are, you know, they're fine. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you seem very excited about campus opening. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, in-person learning, it, uh, it, is, it is the way of the future. Yeah. Yep. Looks like LAUSD is going to be forced to open by the end of March if uh, if Governor Newsom's deal goes in. So don't worry, uh, all you parents out there. Uh, COVID is coming home with your kid very soon. How yeah, are you doing, I, Chris? Um, I, well, I'm, I'm doing all right. Uh, I decided to lighten things up a little bit on top here. Uh, just getting rid of all the hair because can't go to a barber yet. Still not safe no matter what they say. Um, yeah, but I, I speaking of the schools, I was actually pretty heartened to see that um, there's apparently an agreement going in place right now with LAUSD to get 25,000 vaccinations into their, uh, into their teachers, uh, which is good because that's the, ironically, the exact same number that, uh, the UTLA was saying they needed in order to be able to reopen, uh, at least the, um, you know, elementary schools. So I'm, I'm hopeful to, to see that the teachers are going to get the vaccinations that they need before, uh, this rush to reopen really, you know, comes to a conclusion, but it, it, it's, you know, it, it's still a process like this. This everything is taking forever with this. Uh, it is nice to see Johnson and Johnson's vaccine is now out and about It's very weird to see Monica Rodriguez tweeting about it being not an emergency when it literally just said in the release that it was an emergency and therefore that this was a, an available emergency vaccination solution like not sure what she was up to, but that's okay. Uh, this I mean, also, is, like, only... <laughs> it's also one of those things where, like, just even if you you just listen to NPR or, like, any, like, bottom-rung media outlet, you understand that, like, an emergency youth author authorization isn't just, like, for emergencies. It's a special classification of authorization that the FDA can make, even not in an emergency. It's more just like, hey— we're speeding things up a bit because we want to get this out there and then we'll come back later and fully authorize it. It's not just for emergencies. Like emergency use authorizations are used when we're not in emergencies. It's, it was just, it was a very weird, very weird thing to see. Um, but yeah, Monica I mean, Rodriguez the... spend less time misunderstanding federal bureaucracy and more time listening to your public housing tenants. who are telling you to not give the cops money. Hey, yeah, no, that'd well, be great. Um, but she won't. What, L <laughs> Terry. what what LAUSD should have done is what the private schools were already doing, which is writing like forged letters and <laughs> saying that their teachers were were healthcare workers because they, the school had a nurse's office, and oh! also also oh sending emails emails to their to their faculty and staff with those codes uh, for uh, uh, oh, that we were talking codes. about last week. The access codes for underserved communities. Yeah. Yeah. I saw oh something about that at uh, at Caltech apparently in the last couple of days, where uh, people were recommending that you enter a uh, a zip code 
uh, near the testing or nearing the vaccination facilities as your own zip code in order to basically spoof the system uh, yeah. and 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 cheat your way through. Because if you say that you're from a zip code, therefore you would be uh, more likely to, to, to get through the queue. So hooray for rich white people fucking things yeah. up for everybody over and over I hear and law- over again. I hear Long Beach is good for that one. I mean, Long Beach has actually done a really good job rolling out their vaccine and like actually getting everybody vaccinated pretty pretty quickly, from what I understand. At least much much better than L.A. Like, we've yeah, fucked I mean, it, everything up. Yeah, and it's it like the the numbers aren't looking a whole lot better than they were last week when we were kind of looking at the different communities. Um, and it's it seems like the the communities that are most impacted are definitely getting the vaccine the least. Um, it also doesn't help that those are some of the densest communities out there. Like when I was complaining about the disparity between my neighborhood of Palms, which is majority renters and the largest block of rent controlled housing in the city of Los Angeles. And then Cheviot Hills, which is literally just across national that way. You can also tell this because over on my side of national Boulevard, um, there's a lot of street sweeping signs and you get tickets for parking on the street. And as soon as you cross national, all the street sweeping signs disappear. Like they all just aren't there because if you have a single family home with a driveway and a garage, there's even more reason for you to be able to park on the streets apparently. But uh, the, you know, the, one of the disparities between Cheviot Hills and Palms is because we're so dense here in Palms, it's much harder to get everyone vaccinated at as quick a rate. But you'd also think that'd be one reason why the city would focus on it a little bit more rather than like, you know, letting Brentwood get up to like 36% vaccination rates when like people in Brentwood can just stay the fuck home. Like they can do that. People in Mar Vista gardens cannot. Anyways, details. So, yeah, so let's uh so we we have a guest tonight, folks. If you can't Woo! tell, we're like I mentioned, it's been it's been a, a long weekend and a long um decade since last March. But we want to invite on Aaron Wistie, who uh has been writing for Knock and doing some really really cool coverage about what's been going on at Echo Park Lake, uh as well as uh kind of the drama surrounding that sort of the media landscape. So, Aaron, how are you doing tonight? Boop. I'm okay. I'm nervous. I am a writer because I'm not good at public speaking. So I feel like I'm going to like have some kind of weird, like Joe Biden moment where I say like the opposite of what I mean, start stuttering. So apologies in advance. Just consider this some of the free media training that we offer at Knock, where we just shove you in front of a camera and then like put you on the spot. Okay, well, I'm drinking wine, so that should help me stay calm. (laughs) Well, hey, I was going to say, um, for for people who may not be familiar with the coverage you've been doing, go ahead and let us know, like, what's been happening at Echo Park Lake? What have you been covering at NOC as far as the situation is going? Well, I started because somebody basically said, like, there's something weird going on with Friends of Echo Park Lake, which is like a small organization. Like, I think at most they have, like, 30 people. It appears now they might be disbanding. And they basically had a meeting where they revealed they had met with Mitch O'Farrell, which is very unusual because he, you know, doesn't meet with like groups like Knock. He sure as shit doesn't meet with the actual house community of Echo Park Lake. Why is he meeting with these people? And it's a lot of like very affluent homeowners in the area who like, and I think that some of them do have good intents. Like if you read their website, it doesn't look like they're trying to do anything wrong, but they were basically saying like, oh, we want an enforcement zone by spring. Mm -hmm. And if people refuse the tiny homes project, which like, there's no way it's going to be done by spring. 
And a lot of people, they haven't really been transparent about what that would even entail. It might not be a good solution anyway. But basically, if you refuse shelter, you would get uh, probably arrested. It's not really clear what would happen. There would be some kind of legal action. And obviously, like, that would be very bad. That doesn't really solve the problem of, like, the growing encampment at Echo Park Lake. So we ran that article, I think it was, like, the beginning of February, where we linked, like, a video of the meeting where... Uh, one of the they interrupted uh theo henderson who does the wheelie on house podcast while he was saying like i think this is a bad idea and like somebody's clapping their hands it's not clear who was clapping their hands or like who was doing it it sounded like they were clapping him to silence him which was like not great but Yeah, they filed the complaint Uh, after a week, which like makes me think like they probably talked to their lawyers and found out it wasn't illegal and were like, oh, well, we'll uh, get it taken off YouTube. uh, Yeah, just my speculation. But anyway, like that article got a lot of attention. A lot of people were not happy about that. And then there's just like a lot going on. Like even the article that I just published, like it was really hard to like, like there's so many directions I would have taken it and I'm going to like. I don't know, there's probably going to be more stuff coming out, so there'll probably be more follow-ups. I don't really know when. But, like, just the more I dug into that group and the background, like, it's, like, it's a bigger issue than just this one group trying to do a shitty thing. It's the way, like, power is sort of allocated in in L.A. It's about, like, who gets attention and who Mm -hmm. doesn't. Because it's, like, you know, 30 people who have a personal beef about the lake that doesn't seem to be rooted in, like, altruistic intentions towards the community living there shouldn't be the ones making the decisions. And I do think like there are probably some people in that group who got involved because it does seem like they have good intentions, but I I mean, they have, they have friends right in the name. They have to be good people. Right. Yeah. And like one of the, the women like did email me like apologizing for the way she behaved. And like, I'm kind of like hesitant to go too deep into that. Cause like, I talked to my boyfriend about it and he's like, you don't need to like mention that in like your article. You don't need to give a rich white woman a redemption arc, which like, I won't like mention her name or anything, but like, I do think she actually was sincere. So that's kind of like, at least some of this coverage is getting through to people who like might actually be on our side, but just don't realize like some of the way they word this, some of the way they like make it look like these are compassionate solutions when they're not is like, that's another issue too, you know, it's super deceptive language and like it, you can definitely convince good people to do bad things. And I think that's yeah. kind of like what Friends of Echo Park Lake's ultimate goal is. Yeah. Chris, Terry? Uh, I don't have anything specific, but just jumping off that last point um, about, a, you know, rich white lady maybe is having some moment of questioning a group that she has gotten involved in. As I was reading your article, Aaron, I noticed, I mean, that there really was a, a tone that uh, was not overly aggressive and uh, laid out things in a, in a very matter-of-fact kind of way that, that could trigger someone to have that self-reflective moment. And I'm just thinking over the, the arc of, of Knox since we, we found it uh, in 20, what was it, 2017, 2018 when we started, um, the the yeah. tone the editorial t- the editorial voice was much different then, um, and and we still have there are still of course articles that are that are more aggressive but um, it's nice to see uh, more 
diversity of, of voices and tones in, in the publication. So that's. So I want to ask, has there been other media coverage of Echo Park Lake that like this is kind of responding to? I mean, there was the LA Times article that like a lot of people in Street Watch, especially Jed Perriott, understandably, because they attacked him personally for no reason, were upset about. But like about Echo Park Lake, not specifically, but there just does seem to be this overarching tone and like the way the media talks about Los Angeles. And I was like ranting to my friend Tracy about this. And I'm like, I don't know how to explain this exactly, but it's like they are sort of creating like a version of Los Angeles that protects their interests and then complaining about it. It's like mm -hmm. a lot of people like Daniel Kerrig, who is the COO of Condé Nast, who was complaining in that video of friends at, of Echo Park Lake, like that, like, oh, it's so like sad that police enforcement won't be begin until spring. Like I wanted it to begin in January. It's like, she, you know, she should know better. She's the COO of Condé Nast. Like she understands the consequences of her actions. Like, I, I should I, I should flag here, and this is purely coincidental. I did not actually mean to do this, but this is my current employer. Uh, we belong to Hearst Digital Media, which merged with Condé Nast. So technically, I think that's the COO of the company that I am a freelance contractor for. Oh, shoot. Which, I'm sorry. No, I don't fucking care. Fuck this. <laughs> OK. Like, I don't I don't have good things to say about them. I like the team I work with. But Hearst is a terrible, terrible, like, <laughs> media conglomerate that is trying to eat the world. And uh, they, you know, these are the same people who also own Teen Vogue. And I think you touched on that a little bit, where yeah. Teen Vogue is supposed to be this super woke, like, compassionate voice. They also don't pay their writers very well. There's been a lot of scandals around that. But I wanted to kind of touch on this, like, this sense, and Joey Buckets mentioned this the other day, that people who are living on the streets are doing it because they want a carefree lifestyle and they don't want responsibilities. And there's a, this idea or this attempt to turn the housing crisis into a millennial or Gen Z revolt and say these are just young people who are irresponsible, not that there are systemic inequalities here. And I, I was hoping you could touch on how Echo Park, Friends of Echo Park Lake helps feed that narrative. I mean, I don't like know exactly how they I think like that's just kind of what they believe and that's like what they operate off of when they're dealing with people who live there like I don't think they control like I don't think their organization specifically controls the media I just think some people in it have a lot of control but I feel like a lot of the narrative is like you guys are literally making up people that don't exist and then you're complaining about them and then if you say that over and over and over again, if a bunch of major publications, it's sort of like the Bernie bro thing. It's like you made up a group of people that, and like, you know, I'm not there. I did see people being really mean online, but I see people from every political background being an asshole on the internet. I don't think it's unique to Sanders supporters, but it's like, now you have a bunch of people convinced that this is like a thing and it's not. And people are getting defensive because you made up an imaginary boogeyman like said a bunch of shit about how horrible they are and now you have this whole movement against something that doesn't exist and i feel like that's kind of what's happening a little bit with like the echo park lake situation it's like there was that one la mag article that was saying like you know it was they kept bringing up that uh they mentioned it. that um uh damon is is a fashion model they kind of commented on the youth of some of the members while they also like completely forgot to mention any of the elderly members that live at, yeah. at the echo park lake community any of the the families that live there and i guess the, the question i wanted to try to turn to is for the people who are living at the lake what are they looking for because i feel like friends of echo park lake mitch o'farrell's office they really don't 
pay attention or care about the voices of the people actually living there. So what are the people living there asking for? I think like the thing is like they're not they're asking like some of the things they're asking for are not like they're totally reasonable. They're just gonna take a few years to put into place. Like I think like creating non-congregate shelters that like meet the need of like, you know, because a lot of people who are unhoused have substance abuse issues, like creating a shelter that can address that is gonna get like, you know, take time and resources. You're going to have to find people to hire, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of like what they're asking for, we could do now. Like you played the clip at the beginning of like that guy being like, Nuri, here's your check. Like they could they could do Project Room K tomorrow. And like, you know, we ran an article in Knock recently about how that's not really a perfect solution. And like there is a check-in, check-out policy that's like unnecessarily like what's the word I'm looking for? Onerous. Like punitive. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think there's room for improvement there, but like that would at least in the immediate future, get people off the streets. And the anonymous man that I talked to when I was writing this article was like, I am proof that these programs work. I got into Project Room Key. Oh, there you are. He was like, I got into Project Room Key and then I got, you know, set up with the apartment through nonprofit. I've been housed for like a year now. Like there are solutions to this. Like I think some of them are going to take a little bit longer to like actually get put in place just because it does take time and resources and hiring and all that. But like, there's stuff that we could do tomorrow. There's stuff we could do right now. And, you know, just because something is going to take a few years to do doesn't mean we shouldn't start doing it. Yeah. It's like, it's like, they're like, Oh, we can't, they being just like people, that's kind of like a nebulous qualifier, but just like opponents to any of these solutions. It's just like, they're like, Oh, well, that's going to take years. And it's like, okay, here are three things we could do tomorrow. And they don't want to do that either. It's like, yeah, you're saying we won't compromise and we offer you a compromise and you're like, no. It's like, okay. What do you want? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's offering, offering critiques without any kind of a solution offered in response. It's, it's just like, okay, so then like, what do you, what do you want to do? You just want these people to not exist. Like I, this problem isn't going to go away by, in action like if, and policing if, isn't going to solve it if you push people long enough who are really opposed to stuff like this they'll eventually say the quiet part out loud and that is what they want they want these people to just not exist like i have a former friend who's like very wealthy and like she like i kept talking to her about this issue and she kept saying like i just wish there was like a place they could put all of them and i'm like what do you mean all of them and she's like homeless people just like it's not that I have compassion, but I want them away from us. And you're like, you mean like a prison? And she's like, yeah, but a prison for homeless people. And I'm like, oh yeah, my god, like, like like a concentration camp out in the fucking desert where they have to work for their wages it's or like, they're like is... very survival. Like, where have I heard that before? Well, this is a this is a conversation I had in my classroom just last week, and and one of my students then said, well, when they're when they're in jail though, aren't they get three meals and clothes and place to sleep? And uh, you say, uh, sure, Uh, factually, I guess that is uh, correct. But uh, let's think about other. So. uh, So, Aaron, I want to ask, um, because, like, I think this also points to something that, like, you know, Terry and I, as two of the folks who um, helped get kind of knock off the ground, is kind of the opportunities that we have with knock where we can push back against these sort of narratives and people that have like a lot more power, like the CEO or COO of Condé Nast has a much bigger soapbox ostensibly 
but you're able to make waves too. And I was hoping you could talk a little bit about the power of this kind of like grassroots journalism and how we can like shine a light in places where powerful people don't want a shining light. I mean, like I just started at Knox, so I like feel like I can't necessarily speak to that, but I was glad to find it because it was just like, I'm just like, I published things in like NPR, I've published things in like various outlets that I'm like proud of, but it was like, there's definitely like just editorial standards that you have to follow and something like what I just published, like if I went to any major media outlet and was like, I want to write a response to this LA mag piece, like maybe they'd say yes, but I kind of doubt it because, you know, I'm not like, you know, I'm not like one of those people that everybody rejects me is just like, doesn't understand my genius, but it's like, I'm sure to some degree they've got like, I'm sure if anybody pitched something like this, a lot of places would say no, because they've got like a lot of sponsors, they've got a lot of things they have to keep in mind and a lot of people they have to not piss off every time they put something into the world. But like, it's nice to have knock because then like, you know, you, I mean, you can't say anything. We absolutely like have standards, but it's like, you could kind of stir shit up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, knock is not going to stop me from mentioning the COO of Condé Nast by name and like putting out a video of her saying like, well, we should call the police sooner. Like, no other publication would touch something like that. And I think, like, it's just, it's hard to, like, there are good writers at pretty much every publication. There are writers that I really, really like for, like, Vox. There are writers I really like at Vice. There are even writers I like at Jezebel, believe it or not. But, like, all of these publications, they are really, really limited in what they can say and not say. And it's kind of unfortunate because, like, I don't think, I mean, I think, like, I mean, I was, like, I'm, like, going to be 32 in April. So like I would came of age in the age of like crossfire and 24 hour news. And it's just like journalism failed a really long time ago. And it's yeah, it did. <laughs> like yeah. major journalism. And it's nice to like find an outlet where I can actually do journalism. That feels like it doesn't have to sort of neuter itself a little bit. Yeah. No, that's and that's honestly what we were aiming for, you know, as as a publication that's never going to sell ads and never going to have billionaire sponsors. We wanted to keep that going. And we also did that with the understanding that, like, Knock is never going to be a national outlet, right? Like, we're never going to be on the same level as Condé Nast because you fundamentally can't stay authentic to the mission and be that large. Like, we want to be hyper-local. We don't want there to be a knock. We want there to be a million knocks. We want every yeah. neighborhood in the country to have its own knock and people to build their knock in their own way and pay us royalties, obviously, for the name. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I want to say, Aaron, thank you so much for like taking that chance with us, writing just these amazing articles. I'm really excited to see more of the stuff that you're working on because um, I think this is really important to get people talking about this and also like let wealthy people who live behind gates know that their impact that their words have impacts that there are consequences to their bad behavior and people out there are looking at this and and pushing back on it and that we know how to organize you know we're not just like angry people who want people dying on the streets of overdoses we're smart capable intelligent people who are going to like make this world a better place whether the wealthy people want us to do that or not so thank you so much for like lending us your time and your talent and like coming on tonight I hope I did okay. I definitely lost my train of thought like six times. But... No, you, you did were great. great. Thank this you so fantastic. much. <laughs> All, right. Uh, All right. Well, thank you much. And uh, we'll look forward to reading more of your articles in the uh, in the coming weeks. Yeah. All Enjoy right. the wine. Have I a will. great night. Thanks. Bye. Bye, Aaron.
All right. Yeah. That was awesome. Fuck the CEO of my company. Yeah. No, I really, Squirrel, I I really like your pyramid scheme idea because uh, that's the only (laughs) way we'll ever the only way we'll ever ever make money. If if anyone has the the cash and the desire to advertise with us, then we have done something wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely true, especially with the way that I like to do my live tweeting. Um, and I am not stopping uh, no matter how many people I piss off. So, yeah. yeah. No, but also, Terry, it's fun. Like, as, as kind of the OGs in the room, as, like, ground game and knock kind of grow to be like, hey, remember when we just sat around that table with four of us and we're like, hey, let's let's start a publication and let's figure sure. out what the fuck it's doing. And then we had Ace write our first article. I think I wrote, like, our third article or something. Like, it was... But, like, hey, guys, yeah, we're yeah. trying to publish something every yeah. two weeks. Holy shit, that's a lot of writing. How are we going to manage that? Now we're publishing right. multiple things a day. We I, were, I, we I, were like, we were this this close to just doing sock puppet accounts to make it look like we had more writers. <laughs> we were just so desperate <laughs> for content. Have you guys read The New Thing by Him Taze? Great writing. <laughs> <laughs> I particularly enjoyed the fact that uh, when we did that um, – what was that the 2018 voter guide and you got a direct response from the Republican candidate uh, who was mad at you for referring to him as a billionaire. Uh, that, that, that squirrel was one of my, my highlights of uh, our early knock days, early. He's planning days. to run against Newsom again. I no. get to fuck him over again. He started a no. medium account just to yell at me and be like, no, I'm only worth $250 million. And I was like, that's not, that's not the argument you think it is, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But, Checkmate. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but oh, so let's uh, leave one. the let's leave the realm of the uh, of the the reminiscent and the nostalgic and hit the uh, what's going on right now because COVID oh, is looking Jesus. better. So we're gonna we're chopping this segment down significantly, Chris. So we're yeah. gonna make it a little bit shorter, um, which I think is a good thing. Like in a year, we've been through some highs. We've been through some higher highs. We're now at a less higher high, and that's to be celebrated. Well, we are. We are as um, – I don't know if you remember this, but back in the day, the discussion was can we flatten the curve? You know, Can we flatten that curve? And uh, I got news for you, folks. It looks like we might be finally flattening that curve, uh, kind of. You know, It only took us a whole fucking year oh. to do it, but whatever. Jesus. Uh, so yeah, we're up to, uh, three and a half million cases of COVID in California, which is fucked. Uh, our new cases by day has dropped off significantly, as you can see. Um, again, this is one of those things where the testing has also really lagged behind. So it's, it's not entirely clear as to what the fuck is actually going on. Uh, because nobody seems to be getting tested anymore. Like all the major testing facilities have really shut down. Uh, the testing counts are still continuing to decline. Uh, we'll get into that in a minute. Sorry, I just uh, I just did some math. That is that is bigger than twenty nine states and, and territories. Three rich. and a half million COVID cases is is a bigger population than uh, twenty sorry uh, twenty five states and territories. Wow, that's uh, absolutely wild. Absolutely yeah. wild. But, starting with starting with Utah, but, which has only... three point two million people. But. But only only larger than fifty senators. Yeah, yeah. Fair point. 
Um, when it comes to the disproportionate impact on uh, Latino people, uh, Latinx communities in the state of California, it's still fucked. Uh, 9.5% of people who are Latinx have contracted COVID and like been tested positive for it, which means that probably more like 25% of the Latino population in the state have gotten COVID. To put a, a fine point on this by actually zooming out to the national level, uh, over the last year, life expectancy for white Americans has dropped by a year. Life expectancy for Latinx Americans has dropped by two years. And life Jesus. expectancy for black Americans has dropped by 2.5 years. Holy fuck. Yep. Yeah, we're, and we we're already, just... the U.S. was also already seeing a decline in uh, life expectancy because of the opioid crisis. And this just compounded that and accelerated it. But we're making America great again, aren't we? And building back better, I believe is the phrase. Uh, by the way, 2024, folks, get ready for that Trump train coming back in again, because welcome to hell. Nothing's going to get any better. Um, the positivity rate for the virus is now declined down to 2.4%, which is great uh, for the testing that's being done. Uh, again, as I mentioned earlier, the testing is still dramatically reduced compared to where it was toward the end of January. So I, I honestly think that a lot of people have just kind of given up um, and just are hunkering down and or just holding out and expecting that the vaccination will just solve all of our problems. So, yay. Um, our hospitalization rates are continuing to decline. We're down to about 5,000 uh, hospitalizations across the state of California. Uh, our ICU usage is down in the like 12 to 1500 category, which is great. Available ICU beds continues to climb up to 2000. Uh, our availability by region now, everybody is finally above that 15% threshold. Um, still find it really just terrifying to look back and look at the San Joaquin and Southern California regional uh, just flat lines at zero that we had for so fucking long. Um, and yeah, so this is this is one of those the the big weird ones is that um, the the death toll by day uh, when you look at what they were reporting there was this big spike that came through um, and that was entirely due to uh, Los Angeles uh, because apparently Los Angeles County totally fucked up reporting the number of deaths due to COVID-19 over the holidays and uh, 900 and something people or an, ad an additional 800 and something deaths were found uh, over that time period, over the over the winter surge, and were just lopped onto a single day because who cares about any kind of trend lines and uh, you know statistical relevance of the data as it's continuing. So we have that one spike uh, last week that is just absolutely bonkers. Um, although compared to the rest of the state, you know we did have some days where there were more than 700 people dying of COVID in California just a few weeks ago, and. Uh, fortunately it never hit that 1100 number that it did last week. Um, but that was not actually 1100 deaths in a single day last week. That was uh, a reporting error because we're bad at all of the things. Um, well, that's not, that's not just, you know, for the historical record. I mean, anything that we hope to learn about this pandemic and what yeah. we can do to avoid nightmares like this in the future just goes right out the fucking window because nobody decides to, you know, enter the data you know appropriately and that's kind of that kind of thing is so much easier to do in the moment than to try and go you know as a researcher go back and try and fix it once it's all in an enormous data set so yep great yeah no it's stupid 
uh, you'll see that same error pop up again here on the Los Angeles number. So LA County, we're up to almost 1.2 million cases. Um, this is as of yesterday, uh, the, that total. Uh, yeah, because they haven't updated it for March 1st yet. Uh, 10,000 new cases since we last recorded, which is a decline from last time. Oh, um, I forgot to mention we're up to 52,299 deaths due to COVID, 2,800 uh, and some last week in California. Um, yeah. 8.7 million gonna, vaccines, though, and 280,000 of those came yesterday. I was going to say, if the infected population of California was a state, it would be bigger than eight states. God damn it. Ugh. All right. Well, uh, L.A. County back here again. Uh, our new cases are continuing to decline, which is great. But again, testing reduced positivity, also declining, uh, which is nice. But like uh, we're still not out of the woods yet, but we're getting there. Um, hospitalization has dropped significantly. Uh, we're down to what is it like 15, 15 or 100 or so total hospitalizations due to covid. Um to the point now where the new numbers, it's very hard to read because of the way that the uh, the, sp the surge in January fucked everything up uh, by just completely changing the scale on this. Um, our ICU beds are really opening up here. We're up to 518 available beds. Uh, again, as more people are being pulled off of those uh, emergency uh, hours and schedules that they were working where everybody was working at like, what, 150% capacity in these hospitals. Um we are still uh, in tier one when it comes to our adjusted case rate here in Los Angeles County. Um, our positivity rate is now finally moving back toward tier three. We're actually securely in tier two on our very, uh, we're very close to hitting tier three, which is great. Um, and our equity index has now finally come down into tier two. Um, but our adjusted case rate is still way too high for us to be rushing forward with reopening. But nevertheless, Janice Hahn persisted. And uh, this is just the way we're going to keep going. So, um, yeah, it, I our... will say it, it, it is kind of good. Like at, at the height of the epidemic or the pandemic here in Los Angeles County, uh, just a few weeks ago, like maybe a month ago, one in every 80 people in L.A. was passing COVID around. We've now dropped so far that it's one in every 1100. And that's actually really, 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 really yeah. good. And like, that's a trend that hopefully will hold if we can stave off these variants. Like we still aren't out of the woods yet. And that's, that's why all of these numbers, like they're looking so much better. And I just hope we don't fuck this up again. Yeah, that's exactly what it comes down to. Um, again, this is the, the LA County deaths by day. So you can see that, that, uh, spike in the numbers, um, I like when I saw this in the in the charts uh, squirrel, I texted you immediately and was like, what the fuck happened? And then promptly found the L.A. Times article being like, surprise, we lost all the data. Um, so, yeah, like this is like absolutely wild. So you really can't look at what the seven day average is doing anymore. You can't get any information out of this chart other than to say, holy shit, there was a bad uh, data collection point uh, last week and everything is fucked now. But. Um, we're down, we, we've, we're hit, uh, blah. we are now at 21,435 deaths due to this virus in this County. Um, that spike of 900 plus deaths recorded last week was due to, again, the under dramatic undercounting of deaths during the winter surge. Um, we are up to 2.1 million vaccines here in the County. 76,000 jabs came yesterday. So that is good. 
we need more. Holy shit, we need more. Um, yeah. But progress. Well, and as we were talking about at the at the top of this, uh, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine has been approved by the FDA for emergency authorization, uh, which is good. Unfortunately, they only have four million doses right now, but have promised to be able to deliver several tens of millions more throughout the rest of the year. It only takes one jab for the Johnson & Johnson uh, vaccine to be effective. However, it's only 65% effective against mild to moderate illness and 88% effective against severe illness and death, which is still like not bad. 88% effective is better than the flu vaccine uh, on an annual basis. Not as good as Pfizer and Moderna, which are at 95 and 95.5% uh, or 95.5 and 95% respectively, um, but still like very good. Um, in in uh, Russia, we've seen the Sputnik 5 vaccine putting up some really good numbers. Uh, if you trust those numbers, they look like they have been like reviewed and the Sputnik 5 vaccine is very good. Um, the China Farms or Sinopharms vaccine out of China is not as effective as more akin to a flu vaccine, but we're still seeing 60 to 70 percent efficacy rates, which is really, really good. Like, it seems like COVID is just or this coronavirus is here to stay forever, very much like the flu. And so at this point, it's a matter of not letting it flare up to this extent again. Um, and whether or not we're going to have to be getting shots like every year or every couple of years in order to like get boosters and protect against new variants will wait to be seen. You know, and I, I also want to flag that it's really important that we we not focus too much just on the global north, that the global south is really being left out of the vaccination story. Yeah. And that that's where a lot of the really bad variants are arising, like in South Africa and spreading. And those are the countries that are locked out of these really good vaccines like Pfizer and Moderna, because people like Bill Gates have forced these companies and forced the United States government to keep these vaccines and their intellectual property um, uh, um, uh, locked away from the rest of the world to not allow them to manufacture and sell or share this intellectual property, which is one reason the AstraZeneca vaccine really pissed off Bill Gates. And that was the one that was developed in the UK is they immediately said, no, we're not going to hold this as private intellectual property. We're going to share this with people. And that honestly, like, shouldn't even have to be a debate that we're having during a global pandemic. But didn't they actually step well, in and stop him, stop them from doing that and locked it away? Like that was one of the big scandals with the AstraZeneca was that Bill Gates stepped in and ensured that it would be protected as private property just to yes. basically to fuck over the global South because he's not actually as good of a person as everybody thinks he is. Like, yeah, that, that, but originally that laundering but originally of his, the, the UK and the, the Oxford researchers did yep. not want to acquiesce to that. And they were Correct. kind of put in a bind where they had to, and the government overruled them. And it's, it's fuck you, Bill you know, Gates. being a yeah, diabetic, the... I think often about how the patent for insulin was sold for a dollar. And now it cost me $350 a vial to buy that shit. Yeah. 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 It was, what was it? Two, two of the three people sold it for a dollar each. And the third one refused anything. Yeah. Yeah. So just absolutely. Insane. Uh, <clears throat> All right. Well, uh, were you, you going to say something, Terry? I kind of stepped on your line there. Uh, I, yeah, I was going to say something about the intellectual property, and then now it's like completely, uh, it's completely lost. Yeah. Oh, no that's it. Yes. The the other thing, you know, going back to the global stuff. The other thing is that uh, the you know the wealthy industrial countries, U.S., Canada, uh, U.K., have secured uh, through contracts millions upon millions more doses than we need. Um, mm -hmm. 
And so, I mean, of course, these aren't doses that have been produced already, but they're contracted in the future. And so, vaccine, not only the intellectual property um, that's not allowing the you know global south to to manufacture and, and distribute, but then also vaccine hoarding by wealthy countries for no fucking reason whatsoever, except just to uh, you know enforce colonial domination. I mean, that's let, let's just be honest about it. So, yeah, yeah uh, things are terrible, and the only reason absolute only reason people think bill gates is a good person is because the ms and msnbc is microsoft so he ha. gets uh he get he gets plenty of puff pieces uh so he yeah no well there, there was that time that he loosed a horde of mosquitoes on uh people who visit ted talks and i um i thought that was a good move i think people who visit ted talks should have bugs <laughs> they should on them. they Wait, should i did not hear uh, about that what yeah what he was he was doing his like um, malaria, malaria program stuff? that you know yeah. yeah that also involves him making a lot of money, um, and so he brought mosquitoes with him to a TED talk and then loosed a bunch of mosquitoes into the room, to be like this is the fear that people in the global south with live all the time. And you're like I, I hope those were like the malaria mosquitoes. They weren't. Um, he you know yeah. he's not that vicious unfortunately. But he wow. he also he also. He also inspired uh, as one of the plot lines, uh, major plot lines of Breaking Bad. So, uh. fair enough. Oh, fair You'll enough. To, All righty, folks. Let's so Google let's, that one on their own time. Yeah. So let's um, <laughs> let's uh, let's go ahead and we're gonna move to our last story for today. We're not we're not doing a we're we're doing a quality over quantity kind of kind of podcast this week, folks. Uh, and it seems like. It's that magical time of the year in California's political season. Uh, the trees are getting ready to bloom. The, the birds and the bees are having coitus. And uh, governors are getting recalled, which apparently has an inspired a uh, recall Gascon campaign. So let's talk about this one because it is just the worst people in the world, you know, bringing this one up. So wait, we're not going to that one yet, Chris. Oh, no. Other one? Yeah, no, that was, that was too easy. Uh, nope, not that one yet. Hold on. Let me, let me get the link for you. <laughs> Hold on. We jumped the shark. There we go. This one. So the the recall Gascon campaign is just getting started. Like the the Gavin Newsom campaign, it looks like they may actually cross the finish line at this point. Uh, they are getting within striking distance of the number of signatures that they need. They need uh, one point six uh, or sorry one point two million signatures. One point five. No, it's 1.2, no, no. but they've turned in 1.6. 84% of them have been verified, which is a very good verification rate, uh, which is kind of scary. But they have another two weeks to uh, get over the 1.2 million verified signatures. Uh, Gavin Newsom can actually challenge those. So there might be a little bit of like political gamesmanship that goes into um, whether or not the recall happens. But it looks like we're going to be voting on that. This has inspired some other reactionaries to try and recall George Gascon, who we all remember famously beat Jackie Lacey. Uh, and the number, the people that are, are behind this campaign are pretty bad. So go ahead and scroll down, Chris, because you're going to see a couple of names in here. They're like big political throwbacks. And the ones that I want to talk about are a man named Dennis Zine and then Steve Cooley. And Dennis Zine, you may remember if you're an if you're a city hall watcher, he represented California's third district from 2001 until 2013, uh, Eric Garcetti's first term in office. So he's actually a pretty recent politico, but he was around in LA even before that because he was an LAPD cop. And when he was an LAPD cop, Chris, go to the article about LAPD. 
he did some shady shit. So in 1998, he took a female colleague with him to Canada and then complained that she didn't put out, even though he spent all of that money taking her to Canada. <sighs> what a fucking creep. This this resulted in uh, this resulted in him being brought up on disciplinary charges. Uh the LAPPL paid for his defense. Uh he got basically a slap on the wrist. He then wait, went on wait, to be wait. elected to the LAP LAPPL board three times. This hold, sexual hold harassing piece of shit was elected to the LAPPL board three times. Of course he was. So uh I'm read really quickly. I mean, oh god, yeah, but... that one, yeah. So uh, when you finally conclude that she this is in the story talking about the fact that he is a creepy bastard who is demanding that a colleague who has no sexual or romantic interests in you uh, won't put out on the trip. You know, uh, you know what, Chris, Chris, start at the top. Read all of them, oh, because I really okay. I want the full effect. Sure. People really people have yeah. to get how creepy this is. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you're out of you're out of town with a female colleague. You turn off the lights and then light candles to be romantic. But your colleague switches the lights back on and says you're just friends. And you can take it from here, Chris. You. A, apologize for any misunderstanding and say it'll never happen again. B, pretend it was a joke. Laugh it off. C, complain to two companions that you brought your colleague, quote, all the way to Canada and the isn't even putting out, end quote. Holy shit. In spite, In of, her spite of her saying that you are a friend, you decide to woo her by... A, backing off and giving her some time and space. B, inviting her to a cultural event of her preference. C, climbing into her bed uninvited and rubbing your genitals against her. When you finally conclude that she does not want a romantic relationship with you. A. Say you understand and ask whether she'd prefer that you transfer to another part of the office. B. Send her a bouquet of flowers with a note saying you're sorry it didn't work out between you. C. Call her, quote, a whore, a slut, an alley cat, end quote, and leave a Pringles potato chip canister of urine in her suitcase. If you yep. answered A... You're a diplomat with a and, and a catch. Uh, if you answered B, you need to work on your sensitivity skills. If you answered C, you just might be Dennis Zine, Los Angeles police sergeant and a director of the Police Protective League, accused in a lawsuit of doing these those seamy things to a female LAPD officer at a PPL event in Calgary, Canada. A female uh, LAPD officer 15 years his younger, by the way. Like, this wasn't just, you know, like oh, some shit. sort of like... It was it was creepy on every single level. Now, Dennis Zine uh, eventually got divorced from his wife. I believe he was divorced from his wife when this whole thing went down. But that didn't stop him from starting to date a lobbyist while he was a city council member, Jesus. a lobbyist for developers who was called an expediter who helped get development projects through. Now, he got into the habit of unofficially recusing himself from the votes in which uh, Veronica Becerra, his girlfriend at the time's firm was involved with, but wouldn't officially recuse himself from many of wow. those, except for one time where Carmen Trutanich basically told him, you know what, you have to recuse yourself from this vote on the LA, uh, from the LAX contract because it's too important of a vote and your relationship with this developer is problematic. However, in the state of California, unless you are married or in a domestic partnership, Conflict of interest laws do not apply to you when you're in office. Just FYI, folks. So as long as you don't put a ring on it, no conflict of interest. Amazing. Absolutely amazing state. But so Dennis Zine is an all-around, like, <laughs> LAPD stooge. He's an LAPPL board member. Like, I want to say this again. This guy is, like, 
been at the head of the most reactionary and atavistic union, and I put union in scare quotes, in all of Los Angeles, protecting the worst cops among us, and sucking up money from his own union to defend himself against really, really bad sexual harassment allegations. But he's not even the worst person in this milieu of crap. Terry, tell us about Steve Cooley. Steve Cooley uh, was district attorney from 2000 to 2010, uh, decided against running for a third term, endorsed Jackie Lacey, uh, also, went on just to look at this fucker. Just saying, and and <laughs> have a have a look at this guy. Yeah, uh, in 2010, <laughs> decided to run for attorney general, where he lost to Kamala Harris, which uh, really. Uh, goes against the common wisdom of given the choice between a Republican and a Republican, people will always choose a Republican. Uh, so, <laughs> loses loses uh, to Harris, uh, starts uh, his own law firm or consulting firm, I'm sorry, uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, for the most part, he seems like a center-right Republican, uh, nothing too egregious, he was against Prop 8, uh, uh, and uh, anyway, he and he loves he loves cops. Uh, he's a, a volunteer, like one of the I'm blanking on the on the term. Yeah, reserve officer. Reservist. Yeah, thank you. And those are a special breed, right? Like it takes it takes like a, a real Englander. special person to like like Englander. Um, now what? We can't really blame him too much, like directly for this one uh, in the uh, this article interview that shows up in the the Christian militant. Um, he didn't write this. He was interviewed for it. Um, the title, if you can scroll up, Chris, the title of this uh, this article. Soros bought Los Angeles D.A. Uh, no uh, global Fucking conspiracy, hell. Jewish plot, anti-Semitism there. Uh, so now we. Say this. So this comes out the day after Gascon is is sworn in, and uh, yeah, uh, the the quote that uh, Cooley decides to give, right? So former three-term LA count, uh, County District Attorney Steve Cooley tells Church Militant that Gascon unveiled his new directives at 12:02 p.m. yesterday, just two minutes after being sworn in, and that it's quote nothing more than a George Soros wish list, end quote, referring to the leftist billionaire who funds Marxist and anti-Catholic reform efforts across the world. A billionaire who form who funds Marxist efforts. Like yeah. that is by far my favorite piece of cognitive dissonance on the right wing. As though uh, like my the only good thing I'll say about Soros is he almost killed the Bank of England and he just didn't go far enough. And that is the biggest black mark on his character. <laughs> yeah. Um I, so I wanted Cooley, to really I'll... quickly point out for everybody that is listening to this medium. Um, that Cooley is very much channeling some Steve Bannon vibes. Like we're talking two layers of button ups. Like the fuck are you doing, dude? <laughs> yeah. Um, so real quick, I mean, and since we were on that point, um, the LA times, when, uh, when Cooley lost to Harris, uh, for, for attorney general, uh, wrote a, an article titled how Kamala Harris has grown as a political leader and in in that they refer to Cooley as uh, like a frumpy uh, frumpy white guy. Now then, and this is uh, there's a, a letter to the, letters to the editor that are re referencing a response to this article. 
And one person is a uh, just South Pasadena resident, and he's like, you shouldn't go after this guy for the way he looks. Now, the second to the editor uh, in of two letters to the editor, in your editorial, I was described somewhat derisively as a frumpy white guy. It should be noted that in the 2010 general election for California Attorney General, I received 17 of 18 major daily newspaper endorsements. He also lost. 57 law enforcement groups gave endorsements. I received all 57. Not bad for a frumpy white guy. So he's also what? the kind the of frumpy white guy that, that writes that kind of letter to the editor being offended. <laughs> um... After losing an election, right? Oh, so, again, again, I, 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 I dug a little digging. I mean, there was this little cursory stuff. I can't find anything like too agree. I mean, he's not leaving uh, Pringles cans full of urine in anyone's uh, luggage that we know of, but uh, he's Jesus. definitely not a winner. Yeah, and I these guys are. we should we should round this out by saying the the third member of this uh, trifecta of just absolute and utter crap is uh, Michael Antonovich, who was a county board of supervisors. Uh, he was on the county board of supervisors for nine terms before they the voters finally passed a law stopping those kind of shenanigans and forcing him out of office. Uh, he was the chair of the California GOP for a long while. He also ran for Senate in 1983 and lost in the Republican primary. Um, but these are just some of the most reactionary um, political legacy hires that you can get in L.A. County just – Men who were absolutely terrible and helped like engineer the disaster that we're all trying to fix. And they're trying to do that again, not because Gascon has proven a failure in office or Gascon has even had time to do any of the damage that they claim he's doing. They, one, all hold a grudge against Gascon for writing Prop 47, and two, just really want to see black and brown people in jail. They just, all of them fucking love putting black and brown people in jail despite the numerous instances of malfeasance and ethical lapses that every single one of them has. Uh, it is absolutely... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, well, I, I somehow left this out of my quick rundown. Uh, Cooley has uh, put out a co-written book, two books, actually. One called Blue Lives Matter and the second oh, Blue Jesus. Lives in Jeopardy, Jeez. which are which are case case studies of line of duty deaths. And, uh, you know, just just for the record, uh, blue lives are in jeopardy from from not wearing seatbelts and from bad diets because 75 percent of refusing to wear masks and refusing to wear masks 70 75 percent on an on an annual you know year to year average 75 percent of uh deaths in in the line of duty are are 50 percent of them are not wearing seatbelts or in car accidents and the other 25 percent are cardiac events so they can't but, wear the seatbelts because it interferes with their breathing terry don't you understand <laughs> that <laughs> So, yeah, so these guys, these guys are just, they're incredibly reactionary. They just, they love cops. Uh, they want to see more cops do more crimes and uh, against black and brown people. And that's all that they want. And Gascon has the temerity to stand up and say, maybe don't do so many obvious crimes against yeah. these people. Well, and the, the thing that we've learned about these recall efforts is that first and foremost, 
they are just an attempt to collect lots and lots of dark money. The recall bonding campaign raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, never got anywhere near the ballot, but all that money disappeared into the pockets of the people running that campaign because they hired themselves as consultants to the campaign and just paid themselves the money that they raised to recall Bonin and never did that. But it, it also, you know, so these, these recall campaigns serve really two functions. One, they upset the political order by stopping people from being able to do the work that they were elected to do. Not that Newsom's great at that, don't get me wrong. But this is going to be a huge distraction from him being able to govern the most populous and economically productive state in the nation. They also allow these groups to raise a lot of money on the backs of other Republican causes. Like even if the recall Gascon campaign doesn't go anywhere, what the California GOP has realized is they're never going to win the state. They're never going to hold enough seats in Sacramento or in a city like Los Angeles or a city like San Francisco where they're actually going to be the politically powerful um, partisan sect here. Instead, what they're going to do is get as reactionary and down in the mud as they can to raise money from wealthy Republicans and then funnel that money to other parts of the country. And they're basically just a big fundraising effort. They're not trying to win races here, but they found through the recall campaign a way to get some press and a way to cause a bit of a, a clusterfuck for people that are actually trying to do a job. So be on the lookout for more of those recall campaigns coming down the line. What the Republicans have proven on 1-6 was that they don't care about elections. It's always been about power, and they'll do whatever they can to stop people from legally holding their elected office and doing the work that they were sent to wherever they were sent to do. And that is a real fucking problem as we enter into a climate crisis where we have nine years, nine years to cut global emissions by at least 50%. And, by and right now, our projection is we're not only going to miss that target, we're going to blow right by it. If we all do the Paris Climate Accord right now, like if every signatory to the Paris Climate Accord starts doing it, we will decrease emissions by 1% by 2030. 1%. It needs that to be 50%. Even, that doesn't even offset Bitcoin. Exactly. Oh, God damn it. By the way, by the way, I, I hate to, to, you know, drop this on y'all late, but I kind of decided that I was going to, to mint this particular podcast as an NFT. And we're no, I'm just. <laughs> we will we will never do that folks we're we're oh, getting ready to move not. to a dogecoin economy it's going yes. to be great but these Doge recall campaigns the yeah um but before we get lost in in jokes as we as we trail off here these recall campaigns are really dangerous and like yeah. the only ethical thing that you can do is vote against them like gavin newsom is not a great governor let's not pretend that he is but throwing him under the bus and opening the Pandora's box of a free-for-all recall election could lead some really bad places. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger was not a good governor. His main platform was, I'm going to stop the state from raising your car registration fees. That made the state of California go broke. The last thing he did before he left office was raise car registration fees back to where they were supposed to be to get the state out of the fiscal hole that he fucking dug. Like, a GOP governor is going to do untold damage. We need to keep Newsom in his seat until we beat him at the ballot box. Like, or let him get to Senate or wherever the fuck he's going. But the uh, the right option here is not to do the recall. Like, we have to vote no on these things. And don't sign these petitions when you see them going around. And tell your friends and neighbors. Because people see this kind of thing, and they're like, oh, yeah, I don't like wearing masks. I want to go to a bar. We should recall Newsom. Please don't do that. Please, for the love of all that is good and holy, don't recall Gavin Newsom. Recall the virus. Leave Newsom alone. 
Let's not yeah. try to leave Newsom alone, though. No. He, he, needs <laughs> to mean, be, he needs to be given hell all the time for being incompetent at his job. But we don't – recalling him is a wasted effort. It's – Yes. And, it, and it, as you said, Squirrel, it will lead toward far worse things uh, if it is successful. And I'm terrified that it will be successful because, again, he's done a shit job at handling this stuff. Uh, you know, but do I think that a Republican would have been any better? Absolutely not. Like, given the choices that we had in 2018, he definitely was the best. You think Vera Gosa would have done any better on this shit? Oh, God. <laughs> no, no, but that, but that just... I mean, that, that just goes to illustrate that the, the political struggle of our time is within the Democratic Party. Yeah. I mean, we we absolutely must take over the Democratic Party so that we can put up better fucking Democrats that, that won't face this. I mean, if, if, if Newsom or if any governor had, had actually done a decent job, there would, you know, fine, sign the petitions or whatever, but the the voters would 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 not fall, necessarily fall for that shit, or 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 just enact their frustration against um, the inaction from from the governor's mansion. So we need to put up better Democrats in primaries that are able then to uh, to fucking govern. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a a long struggle, and I know this is not going to be the last time we're uh, reporting on any of these recall efforts. Hopefully, this is the last time we report on the Gascon effort, but uh, the Newsom effort is gonna become front and center very, very quickly. So uh, strap in for that one. And uh, Chris, before you go to pickups, uh, how do I look up Seasteads on Zillow? Uh, I don't actually think those are listed on Zillow. Um, I think that you just have to know the guy that knows the guy. We like just have to very, go seize an oil platform off of the Santa Barbara the, coast, is what you're saying? Yeah, I think it's. I think it's. You have to create uh, an internal, like, structure, like a cabal, to go out there and just do that shit. Like, you must be all in a blood oath with each other. Uh, you know, surviving off of the the blood that has been drawn out of the bodies of uh, orphaned children. Because I legitimately, Peter Thiel, like. All jokes aside, is up to some creepy ass shit. Uh, like there is a lot of stuff where they are literally paying college students for like their blood uh, in yeah. order to try to stay young and healthy forever. It's super All creepy. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, while I look up how to create a tontine out of my Dogecoin <laughs> wallet, I'm gonna let Chris tell you about the exciting stuff coming up this week. Well, all right. So first and foremost, we've got uh, the second of the now weekly protests uh, by. That are led by Black Lives Matter Los Angeles here in front of the ACLU SoCal building, uh, targeting the Los Angeles Police Protective League. The demand is to fund services, not the police. Everyone should be showing up double masked and everybody should be respecting social distancing requirements. This is going to be on Wednesday, this Wednesday, March 3rd at 3 p.m., just like last Wednesday uh, at 3 p.m. Address is 1313 West 8th Street. Uh, this is a call to end police associations to remove the Los Angeles Police Protective League from uh, the county fed uh, and, uh, you know, just basically to remove the what it was effectively weaponization of union uh, status that the LAPPL has been able to do against uh, the interest of working people all across Los Angeles. They, they, this, this, they are. They are antithetical toward uh, the improvement of our society as a whole, existing as they do and wielding the power that they do. So uh, the call is to end police associations, join Black Lives Matter and their allies. Uh, I'll be there on Wednesday. Uh, Squirrel, are you going to be there? Probably. 
I am, and I'll be uh, there on medic duty. I'll also have a bunch Hell of yeah. literature with me uh, from the county of Los Angeles because uh, we're doing Powers Community Health Worker Program. So we'll be talking about COVID safety. Uh, you can ask me questions about the vaccine. If you've got any questions about like how to get vaccinated, who can va- get vaccinated, any of the, the technology behind the vaccine, always happy to answer those questions. I'm also going to have some snacks and some water. Stay hydrated. Stay fed. Uh, you don't want to be doing this stuff on an empty stomach. It's it's going to be pretty warm out there. Uh, it gets yep. hot on the blacktop. And, uh, you Actually, know, there's Wednesday, a lot of... it's supposed to rain. Oh, my God. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But also, it's uh, if it doesn't rain, it's pretty hot and sweaty out there. But yes. nonetheless, it's going to be a good time. Come out. Show some solidarity. Let LAPPL know that we're not going to stand for their crap anymore. And, uh, I don't know, maybe throw a, a couple of birds Dennis signs way while we're out there. Yeah, probably. Um, Again, I'll be here tomorrow morning and Wednesday to do the live tweeting of City Council. Simultaneously, starting actually a half an hour before I do, uh, the Los Angeles uh, Police Commission uh, meeting will be held. Please join uh, Black Lives Matter for giving public comment at that meeting if you are able to do so. Um, Check out at LAPCFails on Twitter uh, for more information about what is going on there and how to get involved. Uh, it's, it's, they're good people doing good work and they need more help. Uh, so please do help them out with that. So, uh, you can of course subscribe to our events calendar at bit.ly slash all lower caps here. GG events cal. Again, that is bit.ly slash GG events cal. Uh, and, uh, check out what we've got going on there. Uh, squirrel, you got anything else? Uh, no, I think that's pretty much it for now. Um, we'll hopefully see y'all out there every Wednesday until we bring an end to the LAPPL. And then, Hell yeah, yeah uh, we'll keep letting you know as things go. Just for, for anyone keeping score, uh, if you're an educator, if you are working in agriculture or food service or emergency services, uh, you now have access to the vaccine. So uh, you can get those at CVS. You can get them at county sites. It can be a frustrating process. But if you're eligible to get vaccinated, please get vaccinated. Absolutely. Terry? Um, yeah, mass vaccine site, sites reopen tomorrow, don't they? Is that is that right? Yes. Depending yeah. on which one. So, my, my experience, unfortunately, has been that CVS is a more reliable way to get somebody an appointment than the L.A. County sites. Hopefully that'll get better, but that's where we're at. Yikes. Well, all right. Good to know that good to know that decades of neoliberalism weren't for nothing, right? So we can have we can have CVS work workforce and yeah that's about it for me (sighs) all right well as always if y'all have any events that you want us to be taking part in publicizing or just being made aware of please send us a message you can reach us through the ground game la facebook page or at ground game la over on twitter or instagram this podcast and every ground game podcast is a production of knock.la you can support our work over on patreon at patreon.com slash knock underscore la Check the description of this podcast for sources, links to actions, and social media links for all of the things. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. I am Christopher Roth, joined here by Bushido Squirrel and Terry. Thank you both very much for being a part of this. Uh, Don't know what I'd be doing without you. Yeah, thank you so much, Chris. And uh, thank you all for listening and tuning in as we uh, are coming up very very quickly on Ground Game's fourth anniversary. So uh, it's been a long, strange trip, y'all. Remember, uh, also, Wednesday, we've got uh, Ground Game Game Live. Oh, Oh, that's right. We should. Oh, we we almost forgot. So we're having a one-year retrospective on uh, the COVID pandemic. Here in LA, knock at night, same bat time, same bat channel, right here on this uh, Twitch How show. We uh, we're gonna have, 
Yeah, we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have LA Can on. We're gonna have the Ground Game News on. We're gonna have a representative yeah. from Council District Four. We're gonna have some Mutual Aid LA Network folks on. Uh, it's gonna be a really really good show. Tune in yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, join us. And uh, I'm gonna get some sleep before then, Chris. I think I think that's my main I, plan is uh, getting some I'm, sleep. Same 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 for me. Uh, absolutely, uh, we both need it uh, terribly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We will be back here again next week. Oh, and also on Friday, uh, come join us for some chatting about The Expanse because we do that, too. Like, we... Yeah! How are we forgetting all these things? I need to put them all in the notes. It's only Monday, Chris. Fuck. And it's... How is it It's the things... It's the things that you yourselves are doing. Oh, and uh, potentially this Sunday we might start doing um, – we're, we're not sure about it, but we're going to try to put together a weekly rundown of what the hell's on the agenda for city council, for the county, for everything. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, if all things go well, Brittany and Sachin and I might be doing a little Sunday night uh, talk show talking about what to expect from those agendas of the uh, – I don't have anything nice to say, so I'm not going to say anything at all. Uh, the, the governing bodies that uh, dictate what the fuck happens in our lives. So, uh, okay, now we're actually done. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, I need to go eat dinner. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's have yourselves a good night, end. folks. Be safe. <laughs> Thanks as always. Take care, y'all. Bye. Bye.